First John and chapter two. First John and chapter two. We will read that small section from verse 15 to verse 17, which says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, brethren, we are continuing in our series of messages on the theme of assurance of salvation and we are doing so by making our way through this epistle of the Apostle John. I have said before, let me repeat, that it is important to know whether you are truly a Christian or not. One of the reasons why is simply the fact that you cannot give what you don't have. And unless you know that you are truly converted, you will not share the good news of the free forgiveness that God gives when people repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will not be part of that great combined harvester that is sharing this news with those who are perishing. But more than that, it is the possibility of arriving in eternity thinking you are a child of God, only to be told by God, get away from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. I mean, that would be a total disaster. And yet, as we shall be seeing this morning, the Lord anticipates that there will be quite a number of individuals who will get a shock of their lives on that final day. Well, we are currently in this section where John issues a warning and an appeal, a plea. Do not love the world or the things in the world. As I've said to you before, John normally does not make appeals. You can make your way through the whole of this first John epistle and you will discover that he, he rarely does so. What he does is to simply lay facts before you and say to you, if this is true of you, you are a child of God. If this is not true about you, then you are still in your sins you are still on your way to hell. But here he makes an appeal. And clearly it is because it matters how you handle the world. The world, even if you are a Christian, can mess you up. 
leave you limping along so that although you might be saved, you will be living in a state of doubt, in a state of instability, in a state where you are unproductive, etc., etc. So we, we must all watch out concerning the world. Well, John himself gives reasons why. And that's what we have been looking at. The first reason he gave was that your love for the world robs you of your love for God. That was the first that he gave us. It's, it's an opportunity cost. You cannot love, as we said, two women at the same time. You cannot support two football teams at the same time that are warring with each other in the football pitch. You can't. You can't have a situation where when this one scores, you are there uh, jumping, and then when the other one scores, you are also there jumping. Sooner or later, you make up your mind which team you are supporting. The second reason that he gave is the, the fact that the, the, the things of this world have a different source from the love of God. It's God who, who gives us love for himself, but the love for the things that are outside his kingdom, their source is the evil one. The one who militates against God. So clearly, those things cannot in themselves develop in you a love for God and a desire for you to glorify Him. They take you away from Him instead. For this reason is the one we are looking at this morning. And it is in verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The best way to phrase it is to simply say that this world is a sinking ship. The holes are already in. The waters are already beginning to flood into it. It's a sinking ship. And if only we can realize it, then we'll begin to relate to it and deal with it appropriately. On the opposite end is that obedience to God is what produces eternal fruit. So clearly, we are being challenged to deliberately make the kind of decision that our investment will not cause us to, to bemoan reality at the end of our lives. But that we might make the kind of decisions concerning our own investments in life, so that at the end of our lives, we will rejoice at the fruit that will be born from all our efforts and all our activities. Let's begin then with the negative statement, which is the first half of this verse. The Apostle John says, The world is passing away along with its desires. That's why I am telling you, 
Do not love the world. Now most of us in Zambia will testify to this. Especially because we uh, have gotten so used to, to buying things that are normally uh, designated made in China. They often look very nice. Very appealing to the eye. And you know what is even better? It's this. They are cheap. And that's a beautiful combination, isn't it? Something that looks very nice. And wow, look at the price. But we have learned a bitter lesson, haven't we? That often, before you know it, a week later, two weeks later, the things give way. They are broken. Maybe it's a beautiful door handle. You even feel like going to an architect to say, look, can you build an entire house which will fit this door handle? Look at this handle. So nice. Well, you just have to open that door three times and <coughs> it's broken. They don't last. Good looking yet. And that's what John is saying here about the world. You see, we have an eternal soul. A soul that will never ever stop existing. And consequently, whatever it is we deal with, we want to make sure that it will last as long as we ourselves will last. Whatever we put our time into, whatever we put our energies into, whatever it is we, we, we throw our abilities and talents into, we want to make sure that that investment is going to last as long as we will. But what John is telling us here is this, that the world devoid of God and I'll explain that in a moment, is something that will cause you to go into eternity a beggar. It will cause you to go into eternity empty-handed. It will cause you to go into eternity and burn in hell forever with nothing to show for the fact that you lived a life here on earth. Maybe even to old age. The world is passing away. It is a sinking ship along with its desires. Now friends, this is a very practical subject. It affects the decisions that we make every day. Think for instance in terms of your own studies. Studying towards your career. And there you are. You've put in hours of sweat. Burned the midnight candle. Put aside so many other activities. Social and spiritual activities. In order for you to get appropriate grades. And finally to get your certificate. Your diploma or your degree. 
And of course, it enables you to get your job. It enables you to buy whatever other things you want to buy. And the more educated you are, I trust, the more the capacity financially for you to get things that you finally get. And then you die. And then you meet God your maker. You've lived your life. The question comes, I made you in order that you might live for me in this world. What have you got to show me for the life and the care that are invested into you? What have you got to show me? And you look back and everything you lived for has gone up in flames. John is saying, what have you gained? What have you gained? Because you still have your soul that must give an account to God and be rewarded or be punished for all eternity. Your financial capacity may have enabled you to live a comfortable life, to live a glorious life for five years, ten years, twenty years. Let's push it, forty years. But what is forty years compared to forty million years in eternity? What is that? When now, God must punish you for the fact that with all the energy He gave you, with all the abilities He gave you, with all the talent He gave you, you consumed it on yourself. Devoid of God. So clearly, when you begin to think about your studies, you have to think about God. We'll come to that in a moment. What about the decisions you make about who to marry? Often, it's about money and beauty, isn't it? The guy has money. Eh? <laughs> it puts poverty behind us for good. Wow, she's a beauty. <laughs> All the guys will be turning around when they see who I am with. And there's no thinking in terms of is he godly? Is she godly? Will we be able to, to raise a home in which God will be glorified? No! It's all about the world, the desires of the world, the thinking of the world, the pride of the world. That's all. Oi, what do you have after that? 
Because in the end, money is fleeting. All you need is the quacher to misbehave. And money goes down the drain. All you need is a person being fired, perhaps maliciously. And your lives go on to hard ground. All you need is a car accident. And the breadwinner is maimed, if not killed. It passes away just like that. And where God was not part of the reckoning, that's it. And often, it's not even that. It's the fact that these decisions are made knowing full well this person is an unbeliever. But the person has the money, or they have the looks, but an unbeliever. And once you are in that marriage, you are stuck in it. And trouble comes. And faithfulness comes. And you know it. And the atmosphere in the home is such that you cannot bring up children in a godly atmosphere. You can't. Twenty years later, thirty years later, the children themselves are a complete disaster. Because there's been no moral, spiritual nurturing that can bring about individuals who know God and seek God and live for God. And you lose the very souls of your own children. So there it is again. The money is gone. The beauty is gone perhaps due to old age. Or even death. It's fleeting. It's gone. What have you got to show for it when you now meet God your maker? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Decisions were made based on the world and its desires and it's gone. And you must pay for it forever. Let's go into one more example. And it's the example of sport. Because sport is yet another God in this world with a small G. Yes, it's exciting. There's a thrill when your favorite sportsman is chasing a piece of leather, doing a good job of it across the lawn and pushing it between those bars of iron, hitting the net. Adrenaline shoots up. 
I remember when Zambia won the Africa Cup. Ah. <laughs> eh? Sanity went out through the window. We almost missed the flight the following day. We were leaving the country. And the whole Great East Road, people were going to the airport. There was nothing like pedestrians on the sides. Nothing! They were walking right in the middle. So all of us were driving, were driving at pedestrian speeds. The runway at the airport was flooded with human beings. The masts were with human beings like monkeys all the way to the top at the airport. And even those of us who didn't know that there were t-shirts with the Zambian color discovered that period and we bought them. Today, where are we? <laughs> it's passed away. It's passed away. That's the world and its desires. It doesn't last. We can multiply this, dear friends, in every sphere of life. It passes away, and it passes away very, very quickly. And it passes away while we are still there. I'm sure today you have your favorite musician. Who drive you mad when they show up to play their music? We also had ours once upon a time. James Brown. I know you boasted about Michael Jackson. Nothing compared to James Brown's legs when they're doing this. How we used to go down and come up at the same time, we don't know, but it used to happen. Gone. 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 That's the world. And your soul still remains needing some superstar, some hero. Someone that you could still say, Cha Chave, that one. But the world's heroes come today, they are gone tomorrow. We soon discover they are made of clay, they die, they pass away, they are part of this sinking ship, leaving the soul still longing for a hero. John is saying here, the problem with the world is that it's a sinking ship. It is. And war betide the individuals 
They chase after it. And throw in their lot. As though this is going to satisfy. It doesn't. It will satisfy you for a moment. For a short while. But before you know it. It's gone. And your soul is left high and dry. And not just in this life, as I said. When your life is over, you have to meet your maker. And you have to account to him for all that time that you spent chasing you, chasing nothing and nothing and nothing. But it's looking like it is something. A mirage pool. You've been chasing after it. But now you must give an account to him. Let me ask you. What are you living for? What are you living for? What is it that excites you? What is it that is the dangling carrot in front of you that you are chasing after? And here's my next question. Can it honestly satisfy you permanently? Can it? Can it honestly satisfy you, especially on the day when you meet your maker? And he has to allot to you your eternal rest. Let's quickly hurry on because John gives us the alternative. He says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's the positive statement now. And it's a statement which is obviously very pregnant with meaning. To begin with, it is basically saying, this is the proof that you have eternal life. The proof that you have eternal life is that you do not only come to church and list Lord, Lord in your singing of his hymns, but your very life is characterized by a thirst after the will of God. That's what your life is all about. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verse 21 to verse 23. It's the famous passage of scripture, but I'll still want to read it because it's so relevant here. Matthew 7, and I begin from verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, not everybody who professes to be a Christian is coming to heaven. Not everybody who claims that he's given his life to me will come to heaven. Not everyone. Obviously, it begs the question, then who is it who's going to come to heaven? He answers it this way. But the one 
who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The only individuals who are going to come to heaven are those whose lives were characterized by a deliberateness to do the will of my Father. Those who seek my will for their lives. That's all they're interested in. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In other words, when John says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever, he is saying this is an all-important test of salvation. When I'm making decisions about the life that I will live, what I should study, the career I should take up. What is it that's moving me? Is it, Lord, I want to serve you through this career, through this work? I want to glorify you while you lend me breath through this that I will be engaged in eight hours a day, five to six days a week? Or is it about so that people can say, wow, this is what this guy or this woman is all about. Wow, look at the money I earn. Wow, look at what I've been able to get with this money. What is it? When I'm making decisions about who to marry or who to get married to, is it, Lord, give me a wife, give me a husband, so that together we may serve you. Together we may raise a generation that will love you and serve you. Or is it simply, this is what I want, and nobody is going to stand in my way. Yes, I'll come to church, but over this issue is what I want, and nobody else should speak into this matter. Again, he's simply saying, check yourself. It's a very practical subject. Examine yourself. Is Jesus Lord even over your sex life? Is he? Or there, it is no man's land. I've decided... And nobody's going to come into my way. What about recreation? Because we all have to let down our hair, take off our shoes, relax. Even a bow to remain with its elasticity must be removed from the string so that it, it relaxes from it. Is God there? Is God there? 
Is it a place, an area that you can pray about, you can thank God for it? Is, is, is it a religious fear for you? If your life is not characterized by choices which you make because God says so, or because it will bring glory to God, if your life is characterized by choices that have got nothing to do with that, and then you tuck in church going over weekends. You are not a Christian and you are still on your way to hell. Argue with me if you want. But you will not argue with God's word on the judgment day. You won't. He warned you. He said, don't love the world. Don't. Because it's a sinking ship and you will sink with it. Now, this statement, as I said, is pregnant with meaning. Yes, to begin with, it's simply talking about whether you've been in heaven or not. But we need to realize that it includes the subject of rewards in it. In other words, you are either chasing the world and finally on the judgment day, you will neither have the world nor will you have God because you will be thrown into hell where you must burn forever. Oh, you are seeking God and His will. And on the judgment day, you will not only have heaven, you will also have God fulfilling you with all the rewards that the human soul can ever long for. So, it's not simply escaping hell. It is about having everything. Everything. God rewarding you with Himself. God rewarding you with all that is His for all eternity. That's what this phrase is meaning. Whoever does the will of God abides forever, has peace forever has love forever, has joy forever, has abundant life forever, has everything that the human soul has ever longed for, forever. What a positive statement, therefore. What a glorious statement. It is basically saying, if you love God, and if you live for God, if you keep your heart away from loving the world, you will make the kind of decisions 
that will glorify him, yes, and that will bless you forever. Again I ask, does that describe you? Does it? Because you see, we all make decisions, many decisions, daily. We all do. Is God in the picture when you're making those decisions? Is it about God? Your love for Him being expressed in those decisions. God being glorified through those decisions. There is an important proof of your salvation. As I hurry on then to depart from this section of scripture, it's very clear why John is saying, do not love the world. It is because it has this pull upon our lives. It it cheats us somehow in thinking that it can give us lasting satisfaction. When in actual fact, it can't. And it's very easy for us to, to fall prey to it. To begin thinking, well, you, you know, uh, this God is, okay, um, he is probably there, and yes, I, I think he is, but, but you know, this, this thing I'm seeing in front of me, it's tangible, it's real, it's, I don't want to miss it, I must, I must go for it. And yes, it is real. Yes, it is tangible. Yes, you can go for it. But is it lasting? Can it honestly satisfy you forever? Can it? That's where the lie is. That's where the lie is. It is this. You have an eternal soul. That will never die. And you must meet with God your maker soon. Make the decisions based on that. Many years ago when we went to campus, many of us found freedom for the first time. We could not believe that there was a place on the planet where the parents were not there, the headmaster was not there, the prefects were not there, the class monitors were not there. <laughs> You could do anything and nobody blew any whistle anywhere. Decisions were made, often wrong decisions. 
guys made names for themselves for riotous living. But there were others who said they may not be parents. They may not be headmasters. They may not be prefects and class monitors and so on. But they will be an examiner at the end. And as sure as I'm alive, the day came when we all had to be shepherded like cattle into an examination room. All the so-called McKillers were also brought in. After our school holidays, we came back and we were looking for the McKillers. That freedom was costly. 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 Friends, that's what we're learning here. God will not force you to go against decisions you have to make. No, 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 no. He won't. You are still going to go after whatever you love. But the warning here is quite simple. Don't love the world or the things of the world. Because as you love the world, it will draw you to make wrong decisions, draw you to make decisions that are devoid of God, and in the end, when you meet the examiner, you will have to pay for it dearly. So don't. Don't love this world. Whatever claims it might make upon you. Thank you. What the Bible is instead saying is this. Love the Lord instead. That's really the message of this passage. Love the Lord instead. And friends, it only makes sense. Why should I love Him? Well, first of all, He made me. Why should I love Him? Well, secondly, He keeps me. It is His health. His watching over my life that has brought me to this very day. Why should I love Him? It's because He died for me on that cruel cross. He paid the price for my sins. He did not need me. But out of love for me, He gave His very best that I might have my sins washed away. That I might be with Him in heaven. And ultimately, He sent His Spirit to come and bring me to Himself. Friends, why should you love Him? Exactly that. Look at what he has done to show his love for you. Look at it. 
has that guy or that girl that is taking you away from God? Has that person died for you? That you should choose that person as over against the Lord Jesus. Just because that person says, I love you, has that person died for you on the cross? That money or that property. That takes you away from God. I want to ask. Has that money died for you? Has it? That sport. That makes you cancel. Religious activities. Your worship activities. Your Bible reading and your prayer. Those things are removed. In order to enjoy this world. I'm asking. Has that sport died for you? There's only one who has loved you with an everlasting love. God. God. And therefore, He alone deserves your love. He alone. And you don't wait to love him when you get to eternity. It's too late. You love him now. And when the world comes knocking on your heart, wanting a share of it, you say, no. You did not die for me. Jesus alone. And therefore, I don't have room in my heart any spare room for anything else. I'm all for Jesus because He is all for me. Oh, brethren, love not the world. It's a sinking ship. Love the Lord Jesus with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your strength, with your everything. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Amen.